Welcome to this week's episode of Romancing Nancy Drew. I'm your host, Indy Nickerson, which stands for Nancy Drew Nickerson. You can find me at that handle on Twitter, or you can find me at Romancing Nancy on Twitter if you are so inclined. I don't post much, (laughs) so I'm not necessarily saying that you should follow me on Twitter because, my God, I'm not using it to its most effective potential, but today we're going to be talking about Nancy Drew Mystery Stories number 28. This one is the... Secret of the Wooden Lady. Yes. Just to be this kind of bitch, I'm going to read from, this is the actual dust jacket material that's on the one that I have, which, according to the inscription, was given to somebody for Christmas in 1958. This one, the book is actually from 1950, but um, here is a thrilling series of mystery stories for girls, is what the book jacket copy says. Nancy Drew, ingenious, alert is the daughter of a famous criminal lawyer. Hmm. And she herself is deeply interested in his mystery cases. Her interest often involves her in some very dangerous and exciting situations, which I fucking hate the framing of that. Like, that just, I don't even know why I fucking glanced at it, but I was like, son of a bitch. Like, that makes it sound like, oh, I just like to nose in on my dad's cases. Like, that is just how I roll. And often that's not the case, but and this one specifically, of course, it is. You're like, you're just undercutting your own argument here. But, I mean, she gets involved in her own shit, too. Come on, y'all. Come on. Also, I love that he's a criminal lawyer, which makes it sound like he may be a lawyer who is also a criminal. Or maybe he defends criminals. Or maybe both of those things are true. Which, he's John Ham, so, I mean, it could go either way on that. It's fine. So, Secret of the Wooden Lady, like I said, takes place in 1950. Um, the basic story here is that there is a Captain Easterly, who, of course, if you are familiar with literary symbology, you're like, Easterly. Okay, okay. There's a bunch that I could wrap up in that, but that's fine. Um, he is living on a boat. I'm just going to spoil you on this. Um, in grad school, I had to read Moby Dick, and I didn't because every other chapter was about whaling, and I was like, I could literally give less. Like, there's no fucks to give here. I'm at negative fucks about whaling. So, based on that book, slash a general lack of interest in Oceana, I don't fucking know or care what kind of boat this is, other than to know that there is a, a storage compartment. There are also sails and places for people to live, like captain's quarters, and also a kitchen, which is a galley. I know that. I know that, at least. So, yeah, he's on a boat. It's not a houseboat. It's a boat that one can sail. And as you remember from previous volumes, Nancy, Beth, and George all can sail like motherfuckers, although Nancy and George are far more comfortable and familiar with it than Beth is, who was like, but also can I wear a bikini and just sun myself? And she's not wrong. At all times, I am the best of the group. While everyone wants to be Nancy, at all times, I am best. So, um, Captain Easterly, who lives on, as I said, an indeterminate boat. And if you're like, is it a is it a shooter? Is it a clipper ship? All of those words are mentioned. I don't care. <laughs> he lives on a boat, and somebody's been fucking breaking into the boat and trying to get his shit. And so he's he's writing a letter to Carson Drew, and he's like, I want to buy this fucker. I want to buy this boat. But people keep busting in here and looking for shit. Which, of course, Nancy and her father look at each other and are like, so there's something hidden on board. Like, there's no way that there's something that is not... The the boat dates back to, they're saying, like, maybe 1850s. They're not really sure about it. Um, also, when the captain, who has been apparently renting the boat 
asked if he could buy the boat. They were like, um, so funny story. We don't have a clear fucking title to it, which, what the fuck? How are you renting shit that you don't actually own? It, anyway, so, um, so that's the thing. He has contacted Carson because he wants Carson to basically get him information or records so that he can actually get a clear title to the boat so that he can buy it because he loves the boat. The boat is fantastic, and he doesn't have any other home, which I've got a lot of questions, Captain Easterly. What are, what are you doing? What's happening here? Maybe he's just a free spirit who enjoys being able to elude the police in international waters. Sure. So that's what Carson's doing. The boat is, of course, in Boston, which when the Nancy Drew convention was held in Boston a hot minute ago, that's this is the book that was ba- most of the convention was based on. So I read it for that, and now I'm reading it again for this, and I'm noticing a lot of shit, including, for example, Nancy being just a hangers-on for her John Hamm cases, which fuck you. Like, no, this is not how we roll. Also, of course, like, the the age of the boat. Everything is very much, like, tied into, like, Revolutionary War, Civil War, like, she dates the boat back to having it having disappeared in, like, the 1910s. So there's, like, this whole, like, rich tapestry history of, like, everything is based on stuff that happened before, which I do love. And anytime you're going to be digging up, like, buried treasure or whatever, there's always going to be some sort of historical significance or something that happened in the past that relates back to it. So I get that, and I really love that part, but also, like, 1950. Let's talk about 1950 for a second. Not a long time. 1950 in the United States, like, we're entering post-World War II, so um, everybody who remembered the Great Depression, all the stuff they had to go through during World War II, all the rationing and everything, that's done. Um, of course, as you know, Ned served in World War II, she said, depending all of this onto one sentence in one book, because that's how I fucking roll. Um, so Ned's back from that. Again, Ned's been in Emerson now. It's 1950. They met in 1932 when he was already attending Emerson. He's been in Emerson for 18 years now. He's he's now like a full-fledged professor. Like, they just need to lean in on that. They're like, we're going to have you undercover as a student for reasons. And Ned's like, I'm going to lean in. It's fine. I've been a student here for literally my half of my entire life. I'm now 36. No, it's fine. Um, so, yeah, Ned's still at Emerson in this book. Ned's never going to leave Emerson. Maybe he's under some sort of weird house arrest. Maybe there is some sort of supernatural force keeping him there. Also, fun fact, at the beginning of this book, Nancy is identified as 18 for the first fucking time. So it's like Nancy, an 18-year-old attractive young lady who enjoys mysteries, came up and talked to her dad. Again, this is the first time this has happened. And, again, if we're talking like 1950, she's 18, she's legally an adult, she has the power to do what she wants to. There's also, like, But there's, of course, because she's always tied to her dad financially and and many, many other ways. So, yeah, you still got that going on. And, of course, like Nancy, Bess, and George, during the mystery stories, while, and in the next book that we're going to talk about, which is Clue of the Black Black Keys, um, that one, Nancy actually, like, talks to college professors. And you're like, are you gonna? And she's like, no, (laughs) I ain't interested. I'm going to be a trophy wife but not a trophy wife of mysteries. I want Nancy to pose as a trophy wife in a case. I'm going to make that happen. I'm going to make that shit happen. Okay. So, um, yes, Captain Easterly, they need to go to Boston. They need to go meet up with Captain Easterly, who, again, is being beset by criminals who keep just busting up his shit looking for something on his boat. Uh, His boat is called the Bonnie Scott. And you're like, oh, you're mentioning that because it's going to be significant. And you're fucking right. Okay. 
So the, at the beginning of the book, Hannah's like, go get your dad. We're having fried chicken and it ain't good when it's cold. So, which Hannah, I mean, you can have cold fried chicken. It's a thing, but it's fine. So she goes upstairs. Nancy goes upstairs, talks to her dad. Her dad's like, yeah, we're going to go to Boston. We're going to talk to Captain Easterly and find out what's going on. She talks to Hannah. And then this is the weirdest thing. Like, Apparently, her dad has a meeting at his office at 8 o'clock in the evening because, again, when you one is a criminal lawyer, one keeps whatever hours the criminals do. I, I've got a, It just says, I have an appointment. Want to drive me downtown? I'll walk back. They live close enough to downtown that he can fucking walk it, but so many questions. And then Hannah's like, oh, you can drop me off at my guild meeting, which honestly makes me feel like, is she also a dwarf? Like, as in a legit, like, from... Lord of the Rings dwarf. Like, you're going to a guild hall? Are you going to drink mead? Are you going to slam some tankards onto some tables? Hannah, what's what's going on with you? Are you in, like, are you in a labor union? I want to know. Uh, so many questions. So, Nancy's home alone, of course. And when she gets home, Bess calls her and she's like, Nancy, I'm home alone. Dad's at the council meeting and my mom's gone to visit her sister. And Nancy's like, oh my God, guess what? I have a new case. And Bess is like, that's fucking awesome. Um, and then Bess is like, I hear somebody upstairs. Which, again, if we're going to go through, like, the the moral panic of, like, a home intruder, like, somebody actually, like, busting into your house while you're fucking there, like, Bess is like, I hear somebody upstairs. And Nancy's like, what the fuck? And Bess is like, ah! And then she drops the phone. So Nancy, of course, gets in her car and races over there immediately. Nancy and Bess live three minutes apart, y'all. So Nancy gets over there after three minutes. Also, before she leaves the house, Nancy tries to call the police to report that something's happening to her friends so that they can bust their asses and get over there. And the line is busy, which I fucking love. And again, this is 1950. 911 was not a thing. Like, you would directly call the precinct house or you would call the operator and get them to connect you to the precinct house. And of course, for River Heights, since it's a small town, like, she would just be connected to the one police station but the line's busy maybe they had some other shit going on maybe there was a pigeon they needed to talk down out of a tree they've got a lot of irish people i don't know every single fucking cop in this entire book is identified with an irish last name i'm just gonna throw that out there you already knew this you knew it without me telling you i'm just telling you so Nancy walks up to the door. She thinks that maybe she's seeing a shadow move or something, but she's halfway up the front walk when somebody grabs her, turns her around, and starts marching her back toward her car. And she's like, what the fuck? And so they grab her, they cover up her mouth, and then she she catches sight of the short square hand, the broken nails. All criminals have broken nails, y'all. Like, that's how you know. If you see somebody with nails that look shitty, so if you're a criminal and you want to pass, go get your nails done. Get get some nice stuff done. And on the little fig- finger, a ring which glimmered in the light from a street lamp. Which, again, street lamps. Interesting. Interesting. Um, she strained every muscle and tried to jerk free. The man brought his other hand up to the back of her neck. His thumb pressed unbearably. Nancy ceased to struggle. Which, on the one hand, I love the fact that the criminal has apparently learned the Vulcan neck pinch, despite the fact that Star Trek was not going to exist for another, like, 15 years. That's cool. Like, you're Vulcan. Actually, you'd be Romulan, wouldn't you? And also, like... He just fucking knocks her the fuck out and just drapes her across the front of her car. And so that's where she comes to. She wakes up and she's like, what the fuck? Because she's across the front seat of her car. 
She runs inside. Actually, no, she can't move because she's just laying there. She's like, what the fuck? And so she leans on her fucking horn because she knows that somebody's going to get mad enough to come out and yell at her. So she leans on the horn, keeps leaning. And somebody's like, shut up. So then they come to see what the fuck's going on. And she's like, hey. Um, and he's like, Nancy Drew. Oh, no, something's wrong. Like, immediately. We're going, like, from 60 to zero where it's like, I'm going to fucking kick your ass to, oh, it's Nancy Drew. What's going on? How can I help? I am a non-playable character in this volume. Let me help you. So he, she's like, Bess called me. Somebody broke into her house. And so he go, he's like, I'm going to go get Mr. Simmons. Like, Mr. Simmons is a bodybuilder or something, and is just going to kick some ass. Maybe he's roided out. I don't know what ha- was going on in 1950 in suburban neighborhoods. So they go into the house. They're searching everywhere. The guys go upstairs, and they're like, yeah, this the master bedroom is, like, in shambles. But they can't find Bess. The phone is back on the hook. Like, everything looks like it's pretty much in place. And Nancy's like... Hmm. Nancy does not immediately leap to the conclusion that Bess has been kidnapped, which is interesting. So she, because again, I guess Nancy's thinking like, I would have been kidnapped if that were a thing that were in play. So she looks around, she's like, they've got a hall closet. So she wanders over to the hall closet and Bess is just there, just draped on the floor, just passed the fuck out. And Bess is like, somebody Vulcan neck pinched me. And Nancy's like, the fuck? So they go upstairs. They see that, yes, um, the jewelry box has been rummaged through and all the good stuff has been taken Bess is like yes my mama had this jewelry and it's gone and my dad has had this ring and it's gone um it's a diamond ring and so Nancy's like oh your your dad had a diamond ring the the guy who Vulcan neck pinched me was also wearing a diamond ring hmm hmm cool uh but she's curious because clearly whoever broke into the house was upstairs going through the jewelry Bess is like oh well Nancy's like, how did he get in without you knowing it? And Bess is like, oh, well, I had to get my, I took my car to the service station to get, to get something fixed. And I walked back here. And so everybody else was out of the house at that point. So clearly he just busted in at that point. So he, he got into the house, went upstairs, Bess came home, called Nancy because she was afraid to be home alone, even though she had been home alone for like 0.5 seconds. And then the guy heard her and came downstairs and disabled her. But heard her on the phone and so was on the lookout for Nancy but Nancy's like why the fuck wouldn't he have left like after he knocked you out and put you in the closet why wouldn't he have just left your house instead he was waiting for me out front and wanted to knock me out and and then apparently the back door is wide ass open so apparently he heard the people coming up the walk and left that way so Nancy's like he left something here like there was something else that he was looking for so she goes upstairs and by this point, the cops have arrived, and they're like, oh, so, okay, what's missing? Because, again, it's a fucking burglary. What the fuck are they going to do? Also, they're like, did you get a, a glimpse of the person who did this? Bess, was, Bess described his suit. She said he was wearing, like, a baggy gray suit. Um, and, of course, and if you ask any person in a Nancy Drew book to describe a villain, it's always like, they looked villainy. And so the cops are like, noted. So anyway, um, so Bess got a glimpse of him. Nancy didn't get much of a glimpse of him other than his hand and the fact that he was wearing the ring. So she's like, but that was Mr. Marvin's ring. Hmm. Okay. So she figures out that probably what happened is the guy picked up the upstairs extension, heard Bess talking on the phone, listened to her basically call for help, uh, came downstairs, disabled Bess, and then went upstairs to look for something else. So she, Nancy gets on the ground. Again, the cops are here just taking notes, just looking around like dipshits. And Nancy gets on her hands and knees and digs around under the bed and finds a ring. And she's like, huh, that's cool. So, yeah, she 
it also has like an initial F on it and they show it to Mr. Marvin and they're like, Mr. Marvin, because of, of course they have to call the fucking council meeting and get him out of it. So they call him and, and he's like, that's not my ring. My ring's gone. And they're like, the villain dropped it. Here's the thing, y'all. If you're in a Nancy Drew book and you have decided on a life of crime, the first thing you need to do is go get all your shit monogrammed. Like, I mean, elaborate. I mean, like, go full Southern. Get it scripty. Get it calligraphy. Also, if you are a member of any sort of secret society, I need you to buy all their merch, all their swag. I need you to buy their cufflinks. I need you to buy any sort of lanyards they may sell in their online store because you're going to need to leave that shit at crime scenes. Otherwise, it's not fair. So anyway, Nancy finds the ring and she turns it over to them. Um, The next day when she's talking to Beth, she's like, something about his hand seemed familiar. And she thinks about it for a while and she's like, that guy at the service station. And it's the guy that actually works at the service station that Beth took her car to, but he's no longer there. Like he, they remember him being there and they were like, we did not care for him because he was insolent. He's also white. I'm just going to throw that out there. So they remember him. They go to the service station. He's like, oh, dude, I fired him like two years ago. Like, I'm pretty sure he was stealing from me, but I couldn't catch him. So, but yeah. Um, The significant thing about him is that he has a short middle finger. Like, it's apparently noticeably short. And again, we're doing that stupid shitty thing where we're connecting any sort of physical, not deformity so much as any sort of physical difference with criminality. Like, oh, you're not like the rest of us. You have shorter fingers but light ones as you are stealing shit. So, uh, dude steals our stuff. Um, and that's it. Like we don't really hear much about him after that. And so Bess of course is nervous and everything, but you know, Bess is always nervous. Let's just be real about that. George is always teasing her about going on a diet and Bess is always nervous. Also in this book, I thought it was interesting. There's a point where um, Nancy, Bess and George are, are doing something and Bess is like, oh, I'm famished. I need to go get something to eat. And George is like, you would say that. And Nancy's like, I'm hungry too. Shut up. Which good, good. Just showing up. You're meeting the lowest possible bar. You cleared it and I'm happy for you. I mean, it's a lot of low bars. It's a lot of Okay, before they leave town, because again, you're like, they were going to go to Boston, right? Yeah, they were going to go to Boston. They're going to they're gonna go to Boston. It's fine. So, um, her dad actually is like, okay, we're going to take the midnight train to Boston. <laughs> that sounds like a song, like a really weird song. We're going to take the midnight train to Boston. Um, also, Nancy's like talking to her dad, you know, I'm going to Emerson to the dance tonight. I'll be back by noon tomorrow. And I'm like, you're going to go in for a quickie. Okay, that's cool. Remember me to Ned, her father said, a twinkle in his eye, which again, like, I'm going to be honest here. I've, I've actually seen that there exists slash between Ned and Nancy's father on the internet where they're like, you two love her and also each other. And I'm like, "Uh, I'm not here for that. And if you wanted to, you could read that into this where it's like, tell your boyfriend I'm thinking about him. But I want to read it as, we all know that he's going to be my son-in-law one day, so just saying. As soon as breakfast was over, Nancy goes over to the service station, finds out about him, finds out his name was Flip, because of course, that's that's just how that rolls. Before starting on her trip to Emerson College, Nancy stopped at the Drew home. She put a pale green evening dress and slippers into her bag, which was already half-packed, and drove off. I'm, I'm going to read this aloud because, first off, it is rich with all sorts of meaning that I can read into it. And also, it's kind of short. Um, let's see. The closing dance of the college year was a gala one, and good-looking athletic Ned was unusually attentive. And I'm like, he was trying to pull you into back corners and bang you. Yes. 
Yes. That's where I'm going with this. Where he's like, Nancy, can I get you anything? Possibly me. Just saying. When the dance was over, that's a euphemism. Ned suggested that Nancy take a walk with him around the campus in the moonlight before returning to the cottage where she was staying. And I'm like, cottage, cottage. Like, apparently y'all were having such wild acrobatic sex at the Omega Chai house that you're the other people that lived there with you, your fraternity brothers were like, I mean, I know that we live in a frat, but that was a bit much. You're going to need to take it elsewhere. So Nancy's like, I shall engage a cottage for the evening where we we shan't disturb our neighbors. Yes. Where's the fucking cottage? Isn't it? What the fuck? Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm going to get back to it. A last request from many a moon, sighed Ned. Why, what do you mean? Asked Nancy, laughing. Because, again, they're post-coital. They're, they're in the afterglow. Here you are off to Boston tomorrow on a ghost hunt, Ned explained. Of course. And I thought we'd see a lot of each other before I left on my counselor job at camp. Side note, this is always Ned's summer job until we hit the files where he works for the insurance company and then gets framed for murder. We're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. I know that you're super excited now. But anyway, um, so yeah, that's like his basic default summer job is like camp counselor. Sure. I mean, I get it. It's seasonal activity. They're, they, I presumably would pay him well. I'm like, also, um, clearly you're working for like the CIA at this point. And so when we say camp counselor, you actually mean that you are helping out new recruits. Because again, you've been at college for 18 years. You've learned a lot. Oh, I'm sorry, Ned, said Nancy. But Captain Easterly really needs our help. Well, I suppose you must go, Ned continued, but I'll miss you. Look, Nancy said suddenly, your camp isn't far from Boston. Where is it? Just not far from Boston. Like, it doesn't fucking matter. If you get a chance, why don't you stop at the hotel where Dad and I'll be staying? Oh, good, said Ned, excited. That ship's ghost is going to have competition when I arrive in Boston. Again, I've got a lot of questions. Like, do you think the, the ghost is going to date her or just try to monopolize all of her time? Either one. Happy but a bit weary from the late hour, Nancy said goodnight and hoped to see him in Boston. Again, because y'all been banging till 3 a.m. Just saying. She arrived in River Heights the next morning as the town clock was striking 12. Because, again, she's just banged her husband. She's She's been like, I know we're going to be apart. You know that I'm going to be ghost hunting. You know that I'm going to be thinking about you. Come see me in Boston. I'm not saying we're going to bang. Because you already know. Anyway, so yes. Um, when she gets back home, she gets a phone call. And they're like, tell your father to stay away from Easterly's ship. And she's like, who is this? Which I love. Anytime anybody calls her to threaten her name, she's like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> like, they're going to tell her. Like, she's just going to catch them off guard. And they're going to be like, I'm Fred Smith, clearly. And she, they're, oh, shit. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Goodbye forever. But no, she's always like, who are you? Anyway, so uh, Nancy and her dad go to Boston. They meet up with Captain Easterly, who, of course, is an appealing fellow. He's doesn't have much going on like a lot of these books deal with like the ocean and the sea and all sorts of stuff which i like because of the whole mysterious angle i get it it's fine anyway so they go up they meet him they take a tour of the ship um let me see oh also before they leave um let me see Bess and george come over and there was something, oh, they find out about who the person is who was going after, and they the threatening phone call and everything, and remember that midnight train to Boston? Fuck that, y'all. We're leaving at 2.30 in the afternoon. Fuck it. We gotta get there. We got some shit to do. So, Nancy calls Bess and George, who, George got a necklace from, let's see, Mrs. Potter, who, oh, shit. I just made that connection. Um, 
Let's see. Mrs. Potter is so fond of me. She just won't believe I don't like jewelry. Is Mrs. Potter grooming you, George? Who? Who's Mrs. So many questions. Anyway, so yeah, George has a necklace that she got from Mrs. Potter, which is a dainty gold chain with a brilliant red pendant. Of course, it's not a real ruby, said Bess, but it's a wonderful imitation. So I am curious about this because it makes it sound like it's probably like maybe a lab created ruby, although I don't know enough about gemology in 1950 to say whether that would be true or not, whether it's just like costume jewelry or not. I don't know. But anyway. Um, Nancy helps Bess try it on because, of course, Bess is like, pretty jewelry. Um, she ended the safety class and fastened the necklace around her friend's plump, pretty neck, which, interesting. You could have just gone with pretty. Um, okay. Bess admired the effect in the mirror. If it were a real ruby, it would be worth thousands of dollars, she declared. Rubies are among the most valuable jewels in existence, more precious than diamonds, her cousin asked. Bess nodded. I read a book once about gems. It said that rubies from Burma are the most valuable of all, especially the ones they call pigeon's blood. That's the color, of course. Because, again, Wikipedia does not exist, so all of Nancy's friends have to have specific weird tidbits of information at all times, kind of like you're always running a Jeopardy game. So... Nancy's like, just give Bess the necklace. Like, she's here for this shit. And George is like, you got it, girl. I'll... Who is Mrs. Potter? I've got so many questions. Anyway, so uh, they get to Boston. Nancy and her dad do. And you're like, are Bess and George going to? Of course they fucking are. It's fine. They're just not here yet. It's okay. So they go up. They look over the ship. It's a three-masted ship. And again, I'm masts are like the big tall poles. You're like, you are just ridiculously naive about all of this stuff. And I'm just nodding in agreement with you because it's a boat and it, it floats and also sails. So um, he was delighted to see them, showed him the main deck, the lower quarter deck with the quarters and mess for officers and crew, which I guess is just like their den. I don't care. The intricate passageways, the efficient galley. Uh, tiny, of course, and the homelike atmosphere of the ship. Um, the captain's cabin was richly paneled in oak. There were tiny carved figurines on the ship. Um, one thing that they bring up at some point is that most ships had a figurehead. So they had some sort of wooden thing attached to the front of the ship to look out over the water. Yes, I'm, I'm deeply familiar with this. I've seen a many, many a boat movie. Um, but this one currently does not have one, so he doesn't actually know what the ship's figurehead would have looked like, but anyway. Um, Mr. Farnsworth is, let's see, he wants to have the matter of the title cleared up because I think that he wants to, he's the one who's, he inherited the ship from an uncle who bought it without a clear title. He has no papers telling about the early owners, and Farnsworth's not the man to spend money proving anything, so he's about decided to drop the whole idea of selling me the ship. He wants to keep, he wants me to keep renting instead. And Mr. Drew's like, you don't want to do that. And Mr. Drew's like, no, I've decided to buy her and I mean to buy her. She's got a fine, clean lines and a strong heart. I want her for my own. And I'm like, girl, it's, it's a boat. I mean, okay, like, sure. Who doesn't love a good Ford Mustang? But it's a boat. It's fine. Strong heart. What does that mean? I don't blame you a bit, cried Nancy. I love the Bonnie Scott already. And you're like, girl, just lean in. It's fine. It's fine. Whatever. And then they talk about boats for a hot minute, and then my brain just checks out. It's fine. Um, the figurehead, um, they say it must have been lost or destroyed a long time ago, because, again, the the boat at this point, they're thinking is like 100 years old. They don't know. Um, so uh, Carson is going to go track down the 
figure, clear the title, basically. He's going to track down the original owners and see what they need to do to get a clear title to the boat so that he can buy it. And Nancy's just going to poke around and find out about these ghosts, too. Because Captain Easterly knows that somebody's been on board. Like, they move things around, but they're not really... They eventually do start destroying shit. Like, they get to that point. But at this point, they're just, like, they're coming on board. He's not able to catch them. He's not sure how they're getting on board because it doesn't, he's not seeing any way that they could be getting on board. So, anyway. Um, Captain Easterly leaves. Nancy comes back. He's not there. There's a bunch of different um, scenarios where Nancy almost catches somebody. They end up getting off the ship via a way that she's not familiar with. They get in a boat. She sees them, but not well enough to identify them. So that keeps happening. And then um, Captain Easterly vanishes. Like, they, he says, I'm going to go buy, buy provisions. And then he never comes back. And they're like, huh, maybe he just got tied up in town doing shit. And so at that point, actually, Carson calls Bess and George and is like, hey, can you come stay with Nancy? Because I need to go to... I think he has to go to New Bedford. Yeah. So he's going to go there to track down to see if he can find any clues there. So he doesn't want to leave Nancy alone. So he calls Bess and George. So Bess and George arrive. Um, Nancy, when she's going to meet their plane, uh, plane, I think so. Yeah. Um, she sees a guy in a taxi who looks like Flip Faye, the, the asshole who Vulcan neck pinched her earlier in this book. So she sees him. They try to give Chase in a taxi. They're not able to catch up with him. But Nancy's like, so he's near here. Um, Bess arrives. Bess is like, I am famished. I need a soda. I also need to change out of this dress. I'm, I love that George is like, she just wants you to see her new pink linen suit. George told Nancy as they found a taxi and piled in with the luggage, most of which belonged to Bess. And you're like, just shut the fuck up. Some people like to have a lot of luggage, George. And also, it was 1950, and they did not charge you for that shit. Lean in. I'm dying to see the clipper. Uh, okay, sure. Um, so, George zipped into a tailored seersucker, because you're like, of course, you're, you're just a tiny little sailor toddler. It's fine. Um, let's see. You ate on the plane, George reminded Bess when Bess was like, I'm famished. Anyway, I thought you were going to stay on your diet during the, this expedition. Let her alone, Nancy laughed. I'd like a sandwich myself. I hadn't had lunch, but first I'm going to make a phone call. So, Nancy's like, just shut the fuck up. Okay. Um, so, there's an, the person that Nancy sees first leaving the boat. She calls Grizzleface because he just, like, he looks pretty scruffy. So, that's the nickname that she comes up for him. For him. Uh, but Flip Faye, she knows what he looks like, so that's a grizzle face and Flip Faye are different people. So they go to a place, they look through some figureheads and learn about figureheads because that's that is the theme of this book, is figureheads. Um, but they can't find Captain Easterly. Like they keep thinking that he's going to be there and he just keeps not being there. They keep exploring the ship and looking in the hold, which of course everything is super dark and they're not really familiar with the layout of the ship and yeah. So that's what happens. She keeps almost seeing prowlers. She keeps being aware that somebody's on the boat and that's about it. So this seems like a good place to pause. Okay. So they keep searching the ship, trying to find out how people are getting on board. They're also pretty sure that somebody may be hiding like on the ship, like not just sneaking into the ship, but hiding on the ship, but they're unable to find where the person is apparently hiding. Um, Nancy... At one point, they actually do go to the cops because somebody broke into the captain's quarters and, like, busted up some shit. So they go to the cops, and the cops are like, yeah, this is really bad. And 
and all, all sorts of things. Um, they talk, they say that uh, Flip Faye is nearby because, of course, Nancy's basically put out, out an APB on him because Nancy, like Batman, is her own agency at this point where she's just like, hey, y'all, be on the lookout. And they're like, we got this. We got a bolo on it. It's fine. Um, so she's talking to Lieutenant Hennessy in Boston, remember. Um, she gives him the identifying details. He's got a short middle finger on his right hand. He dropped a ring. There was a strange F on it. Hennessy's like, strange. Yes, it looked like Nancy searched her mind for the right word, like a crow's foot. Hennessy's eyes widened. Did you say a crow's foot? So apparently, um, Flip Faye has been just robbing places and that has been his calling card. They call him the crow because that is, it looks like a crow's foot. They're very inventive. Um, this peculiar looking F is the mark of a dangerous criminal. He's a vain fellow and a clever jewel thief. Um, so yeah, but then the cop is like, I'm sure that he's not going to leave this telltale mark anymore. Not since you found his ring. And you're like, why would he stop? Why would he stop though? Seriously, but whatever the fuck, it's fine. Um, you've helped us tremendously because again, Nancy is like the, the entirety, like a good solid 25% of the criminal justice system in the United States at this point. So they're like, we don't know what we would do without you because we literally can solve nothing unless an 18-year-old girl is involved. So we're just saying. Um, let's see. The clipper ship. Um, she wants to call Mr. Farnsworth. Remember the guy who actually owns the boat or who has some sort of claim on the boat. So she tries to contact him to find out if he knows where Mr. where Captain Easterly vanished to. And he's like, no. And then he's like, oh, but somebody called me the other day and asked if I would sell the boat. And Nancy's like, who did that? Um, his name is Fred Lane. I told him I wouldn't sell until anybody until the title was clear. So Nancy's like, did he have a grizzled face? And he's like, no. Um, did he have a short finger on his right hand? N- no, no. So she's like, okay, new person. Just, just making sure. Just making sure. Just going through all my suspects to this point. So they know that he is apparently also interested, but they don't know if his interest is nefarious, sinister or not. So, um, they were given an address for Mr. Lane, like Mr. Farnsworth had once. So they go to that place and it looks really shitty. There's an old woman who comes out and just mutters at him. It's fine. Um, they go back to the hotel and guess who's there? Ned, Ned Nickerson. How nice to see you. I'm like, just try to play off the fact that y'all ain't been married for like five years now. Whatever are you doing here? Asked George lost that job you were going to have at camp and George, why you got to be a dick about everything? I mean, honestly, I mean, she's she's good in an emergency, but also she's kind of a dick and just just casual conversation in this book. The young man laughed. Can't we relax before going to work? We're here for a weekend of fun. Okay, so fun fact about this one. This is the first introduction of Dave Evans and Bert Edelton, two college friends of Ned's whom the girls knew well. And you're like, really? They haven't been in any previous books. No, they haven't. But here's the fun thing. From here on out, like for the rest of the mystery stories, these are their dates. So Ned, because he wants some alone time with Nancy, finally bribed two of his friends to be like, okay, you need to feign deep abiding interest in Bess and George. And they're like, we got this. Because again, George is a bit prickly. Just saying. And also Bess feigns at the sign of danger. Because again, we're all Bess. We're all Bess. So there's Dave and Bert. B-U-R-T, not B-E-R-T. He's not a Muppet. I mean, he may be a Muppet. I don't know. Um, 
But yeah, so the way to remember is that Dave is dating Bess and Bert is dating George. And the way that I remember this, because honestly, like all I gave a fuck about was what Nancy and Ned were doing in these books. And I was like, yes, it's, it's Bert and Dave, Bert and Dave. And then I was like, who's dating because it doesn't matter. They're fucking interchangeable to the point that this book doesn't even bother describing them. Like in later books, you do actually get a physical description of what they look like. So you could possibly picture them slash cast them in some sort of media. But um, Bert, because his first initial is B, does not date Bess. That's how you know. Dave dates Bess and Bert dates George. So now you know. Okay. But in this book, it doesn't really fucking seem to matter. It's just like, hey, y'all, we're, we're here to be your prom dates. And they're like, cool, we got this. We don't give a fuck. Um, Ned has invited his friends along again to kind of distract Nancy's friends so that he and Nancy can go stick off and, and neck. It's fine. But also, um, when Nancy had finished telling her story about the ship, Bert clapped his hand to his head. And I thought we were just going to do some nice, quiet dancing. He mourned. Sounds more exciting to me than dancing, Ned said. Let's go down to the Bonnie Scott and look her over. And I'm like, again, euphemism. Euphemism, sweetie. It's fine. Um, yeah. Then, talking excitedly, the six young people crowded into a taxi cab and directed the driver to take them to the waterfront. Um, they, George suggested that they take a short walk along the waterfront for sea flavor. This is in quotes. Before boarding the Clippers, so they got out two blocks from the ship. Ned walked eagerly ahead with Nancy, and I'm like, he just wants to get in some alone time, y'all, and I'm here for it. Let's leave them to their window shopping, said Nancy. I want to hurry aboard and see if Captain Easterly has returned so that maybe we can get a quickie in. It's fine. Um, and then they stood in front of a restaurant waiting for the light to change. And there was a figure inside that caught Nancy's attention. A, la- a man in a loud checkered suit was sitting at one of the tables, his back to the window. Nancy touched Ned's arm. That man, she whispered excitedly, he looks like Flip Faye. This is actually the frontispiece illustration from this book. And as I mentioned last week, as you remember, this is the frontispiece where if you're looking at a first edition, Ned is smoking a cigarette. Just having a, a casual post-coital cigarette with his girl as they're looking into a restaurant window. Nancy has, like, again, this is 1950s, so she's still got, like, a hint of 1942 her dress and her hairstyle and the way that, like, the illustration looks. But it's, it's like, a really cute illustration. I do enjoy it. Also, it was very easy to remove that cigarette. It wasn't doing a lot. It's fine. Um, so, yeah, they're looking in the window, and Nancy's like, Ned! Ned, that guy. So she actually sends Ned inside because Flip Faye would know what Nancy looked like. She sends Ned inside to go check it out. She's like, go see if he has a short middle finger on his right hand, which of course is like, how can I shake your hand, sir? Like, how the fuck are you going to manage that? So Ned has to go over to their table and he basically, the guy has his hand wrapped around a coffee cup. And so Ned has to basically jostle the table to get him to do something. And the guy decks him. So that's fun. His right fist shot out and Ned fell backward. Ned immediately springs up because he, he respawns immediately. Um, Flip Faye, or the guy that they think they're pretty sure is Flip Faye, runs out of the back of the restaurant. They don't find him. Um, apparently, Ned all immediately has a black eye. And I'm like, I'm calling bullshit on that, but it's fine. Maybe he just has a discolored eye. And the waitress is like, yeah, we need to slap some raw meat on that. I'm just saying. And Ned's like, I'm fine. Let's go look at the boat. Because of course he is. Uh, let's see. They meet up with Dave, Bert, and the other girls. What happened to Ned? Best demanded, looking at his eye. One hour with Nancy Drew, and I'm practically blinded, said Ned, grinning. Like, Ned's here for some rough shit. Like, that's just what he's here for. That's fine. Um, they're looking around. They find some checkered wool that matches what, what he was wearing on his suit, um, coming out of a porthole. 
Nancy and Ned search everywhere. They look on the side of the ship and they see some spikes, which could have been used to climb up the ship, but they're hardly noticeable because they're painted exactly the same way. So, um, they still can't find Captain Easterly. So Nancy's like, we need to find him. How are we going to, Ned's like, how are we going to find him? You've already inquired along the docks with no luck. Like just anybody who might've seen him. I haven't given up. Nancy said stoutly. Somebody along the waterfront has certainly seen old Grizzleface and must know where he lives. So she's pretty sure that he must be connected to this. Are you game for a bit of sleuthing? Anytime, Admiral. Lead the way, Ned ordered, smiling. I love y'all. I love your banter. And I know that you're married. In my heart, I know that you're married. That's fine. So there's one place, in the, the only likely places where she and the girls had not inquired were the recreation centers for sailors. And it's like, are you talking about, like, Las Vegas on a Saturday night? Like, what kind of shit's going down at some entertainment venues for sailors? There's one in particular I'd like you to go into if you don't mind, Ned, she added. The youth was quite willing. Of course he was! He's going to get banged for this later. Um, And she led him to an amusement casino. A sign said, tattooing done cheap. Yes. Nancy waited outside for several minutes. Apparently, I love that Nancy's like, I ain't going in there. Ned's like, I got this, girl. I got you. And again, Ned is, Ned's not a sailor. Ned does not give off sailor vibes. But he's like, I got this shit. Because again, he knows what's going to happen if he does this. Uh, when Ned came outside, she could see by his face that he had discovered something. The tattoo artist knows your grizzle face, he told her. His name is Red Quint. And here's the address of his boarding house. I love how everybody in these books is like, I'm going to fall over myself to give you any information that you need. Why are you inquiring about this? I don't give a fuck. Here's an address of a boarding house. So, Nancy's excited. They go. They find the address. There's a hostile female voice who greets them. There's a description of the interior. Um, the dirty bare floor, the plaster falling from a jagged crack in the wall above a payphone. The whole place gave the impression of a slovenly housekeeping. And you're like, or like the landlord legit does not give a shit about the conditions. I'm just saying, like, the plaster's falling down. That ain't the responsibility of the tenants. I'm just going to tell you that. Anyway, so the woman's like, do you, what's up? What do you want? And Nancy's like, do you know where Red Quint has gone? She looks suspiciously at Ned's black eye. I love that. She's like, what you been up to, girl? Have you seen any of his friends lately? And the woman's frowsy gray eyebrows wiggled, which everything about that sentence is horrifying to me. Yeah, a friend of his came here. What was his name? I don't know. Seems like it was Ted or Fred. And Nancy's like, Fred Lane. Is he here? No, he just rented a room for his uncle. His uncle? Is he an old man? Midland, he's sick. Ain't been out of bed since he come. Why is she deep southern now? Shut up. Nancy and Ned exchanged excited glances. Has he had a doctor? Nancy inquired, watching the woman carefully. No, nah, he just don't feel good. Sleeps a lot. They told me to keep an eye on him. I must see him, Nancy said, making for the stairs. Hey, you can't go up there, the woman yelled. But Nancy and Ned were already running up the steps. No rules apply to them. We are white young people. Just let us go. Anyway. They run upstairs. Um, they find the room where the guy is being held. And, of course, it's fucking Captain Easterly, who, again, if you'll remember, they used this tactic previously on Carson Drew. Uh, Captain Easterly is in a bed. He has clearly been drugged. He is just, like, groggy. He doesn't know what the fuck's going on. So Nancy and Ned are like, oh, my God, let's come save you. So they call the police. Um, they file a report about this. Lieutenant Hennessy, who you'll remember is both an excellent scotch no it's fine and the person who is like the crow so yes 
Um, Captain Easterly said that he went to a restaurant. He had some coffee. He started feeling bad. Some stranger offered to help him. They got into a taxi. And then the next thing he knew, he saw Nancy. And I'm like, he, they're fucking roofing people left and right here. Like, what else is going on? Did it get you to sign any legal documents? Were you used for weird sex purposes? But anyway, it's fine. Um, then Nancy and Ned are supposed to meet Bess and George and the guys for dinner. And they're like, hey, what you been up to? And Nancy's like, we found Captain Easterly, bitch. Also, Ned's got a black eye. But you already knew that. It's fine. Um, yeah. They took him to a hospital. The hot, he, he checks out the next day because he's like, I'm fine. Um, what they decide actually is to... And initially when they got to Boston, they were like, somebody keeps breaking on the ship. I was like, just move the fucking ship. Like, apparently you can't secure it properly. So just move the fucking ship. So they decide to do that. Um, between all of them, they are they have enough experience and ability that they're able to sail the ship so they stock up on provisions and they decide to sail out they have to actually get the coast guard to let's see what it is um there was a tug that came over to help them out and then um nancy sees smoke and the ship is on fucking fire so there's a fire in the hold clearly um Nancy dashed back to Captain Easterly, told him about the fire. He signaled for the fire boat. There's a fire boat, y'all. Like, if my fire obsessed, boat obsessed, like, if you've got any toddlers in your life, let them know that there's a thing called a fire boat. Let them know. They're going to be excited about it. Nancy raced off to give alarm to the boys. They gathered every fire extinguisher on which they could lay their hands and hurried below. Ned was the first into the hold. If we can keep the fire from spreading, we'll be all right, he shouted. Dave, catch it over there near those oil drums. Why the fuck do you have oil drums? What the fuck? Nancy dashed back to the deck to see if the fire boat was coming. Um, so she goes back down there. She sees a man disappear around a corner. She screams for Ned, but he's, he's excitedly fighting a fire, y'all. He is living out all of his five-year-old dreams. By fighting a fucking fire on a boat. Um, Nancy chases the guy. She hears a splash. He's jumped overboard, but she can't see enough of him to figure out who it was. Um, the guys who, again, uh, Ned, Bert, and Dave are like, this is our life's dream, to fight a fire on a boat. So they are downstairs. They've got red eyes. They've got wet handkerchiefs tied over their noses. George has also joined in because, as you know, George is here for that shit. Um, they've got chemical, like, because of the fire extinguishers or the chemical fire extinguishers. Um, the fire boat firefighters arrive. They get everything out of control. They're like, your helpers had things pretty well under control when you were here. So that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, they're pretty sure there was a stowaway. Nancy's hopeful that they've gotten rid of the stowaway, but she's also a little bit doubtful about it. She's also wondering if somebody got bored while they were waiting and started smoking a cigarette and that that caused the fire because it doesn't make a lot of sense they know that somebody's looking for something on board the ship so why the fuck would you set fire to it it doesn't make sense also if you're a castaway aboard the boat why would you set fire to it so it just feels like it was probably a mistake um yeah uh bess actually got shut up in the cabinet in the kitchen because she was putting the supplies away and when they take inventory they find out that like a loaf of bread some milk like some provisions were stolen nancy's like i did not see the person that i chased off the ship with provisions so that means that somebody else there were two stowaways there was one who apparently set the fire and then ran away and then there was the other one who came up to the kitchen to get some supplies and lock Bess in the closet who Bess was knocked out but um 
the closet door was unlocked. Like, she says, no, it was locked. And Nancy's like, okay, so somebody came up here. They were grabbing some food. They heard the fire call, and they unlocked the closet because they didn't want you to burn to death, which Bess was like, I could have fucking burned to death. And Nancy, and George is like, it didn't happen. Just shh, it didn't happen, which, again, I would actually not blame Bess for needing some a lot of therapy after this because of the number of times that she's nearly died based on choices that she did not herself make. I'm just saying. So, anyway. Um, they sail the boat out. Um, Nancy's pretty sure that the thief jumped overboard, but whoever is stowed away on, which they can't find, they can't find whoever was stowed away. But yeah. Um, and then they find a little box. They found a little snuff box. So that's fun. It's just on the floor of the captain's quarters. And also George opens it up and sniffs it and is like, but it does not smell like snuff. I will take your word for it, but it does not smell like snuff, which is hilarious. But anyway, so they find the snuff box. Um, let's see. Ned's like, because Nancy's like, oh my gosh, this has to be related to the figurehead that I've been looking for. And Ned's like, that's there. You're, you're making a lot of logical jumps there. I mean, it's fine. Um, okay. Uh, she's like the stowaway dropped it. Uh, but where the thunder can he be? Nancy's eyes lighted up. I think I know how we might catch him. How? He's raided the galley once, and I have a hunch he'll come back for drinking water. Ned, let's set a watch for him. Ned's eyes sparkled. You really keep trying. That's what I like about you, Nancy. And I'm like, she was the one who pursued you, wasn't she? She was the one who was like, Ned, marry me, or I will do something rash. <laughs> anyway, uh, they keep watch. They don't actually catch the person who they're pretty sure is stowed away they see the initials pr and the date 1850 and i was like puerto rico although i'm pretty sure the puerto rico was not recognized as i mean i'm sure puerto rico existed in 1950 i mean shut up but like anyway you're like it's probably not puerto rico they're like maybe that's the name of a boat that's related to this but here's the thing like boats can change names and you're like of course they can of course so they're pretty sure that the Bonnie Scott is probably not the original name because Nancy's dad is having so much fucking trouble finding the original ship name. Like, she, he can find no records, really. So he's like, probably had a different name. And so she actually helps him take a bunch of, like, measurements for dimensions and everything, but he can't find anything. He just, he's like, I don't understand what's, uh, I don't know what the previous name was, so I can't track it down. So anyway, that's that's the big thing. Um, Let's see... Uh, oh, okay. So they were going to set a watch for the person by four o'clock during the night. Nancy had dropped into an easy, uneasy sheep when sleep, when she was awakened by running, running feet, distant shouting, a crash in the galley. So she, she goes out in the darkness and ran full tilt into someone. Ned, she gasped. I'm all right. He said, jumping to his feet. So clearly she just fucking decked him. Um, they go up on deck and they find out that a huge storm has blown up and it's like they're suddenly in the perfect storm. And so they're trying to keep the ship from something happening. The mizzen mast, whatever the fuck that is, something happens to it. There was a splintering crash. Nancy's like, I'll stay and help. But they're like, go below. Go below. Holy shit. Uh, Bess is down there getting violently seasick. And I'm like, again, at all times, I am Bess. Um, George is like, we're fine. We're going to be fine. She had, she'd also gone up to help, but it had been sent back because they're like, girls can't do this. Anyway, Nancy's like, I'm going to go back to the wheel. Um, she goes upstairs and everything's fine again. Like it's, it's nice. And then they ran aground. So they had to call the Coast Guard. Like, sure. Then Bess has to make a bunch of bacon and eggs for breakfast. And then everybody takes a nap. 
My favorite part of the book, really. <laughs> Hilariously, okay, this is like right after. they Again, they had a rough night. They were sailing the ship. It's fine. Um, let's see. By 10 o'clock, they were up for their friend. Uh, Ned said, I hate to change the subject. This is right after they were like, we should all go sailing with you again sometime. And we can bring the girls because every ship needs cooks. And the girls are like, fuck you. And then Ned's like, I hate to change the subject, but we fellows will have to get to camp or lose our jobs, Captain. Again, their jobs with the Secret Service. Will you and the girls be safe here in the cove if we leave? And you're like, okay, no, they're not g- shit. But anyway, they yeah, they leave. So Nancy goes ashore with the boys and they catch a bus and Nancy decides to go into town and ask about anybody who knows things about clipper ships. So Walt Frisbee, who again sounds like a an alias that one would make up for just bonkers reasons, like, Hello, I'm a hacker and my name is Walt Frisbee. Not Disney frisbee um he's into these things he likes to carve figureheads for ships and i'm like i love that you have such a weird particular skill set it's fine she goes in there he's he's like kind of gruff but whenever he finds out that nancy's into figureheads and ships and finding about about old ships he's like girl i got boxes of books please go to town while i just do figurehead things so he's he's like go for it nancy goes upstairs reads about um everything that everything that he's got because she wants to learn all about clipper ships um she shows the um little she shows the little box to the guy and he's like maybe prince royal because he remembers a ship called prince royal um but then when she's heading back to the ship because of course walt frisbee has to sleep sometime (laughs) grizzle face comes up behind her steals the snuff box and runs away and nancy's like stop thief and he's like i'm not a thief somebody gave me this you stole it from me and nancy's like you it was on the boat you stole it you stole it and he's like i haven't stolen anything and then he's like i got it from the mate and nancy's like who's what and then she's like oh shit i fucked up because then he runs away so yeah she knows his name red quint but and apparently he thinks that the stump box is his but anyway she goes to the police she's like yes i saw him he's near here um he stole a snuff box and they're like okay we got this because again cops Ned has left. So, and again, because I don't want this episode to be three fucking hours long. Um, what happens after that is, again, they keep seeing evidence that, again, even though they moved the boat, somebody clearly knows that they moved the boat, and they're still coming on board to look through stuff and see what happened. Nancy continues looking for any sort of clues as to the what it was apparently called. Um, there's another ship that they find called the Puerto Ricardo, which, again, I was like, Puerto Rico! But, yeah, no. Um, they see, they find evidence that it was assumed that it had been wrecked because it was lost at sea. There's also, um, like, there's an artist's village nearby because, again, the ship, they, they anchor the ship, so the girls go into town occasionally just to, to kill some time. So Bess is like, oh, I want to do a watercolor. And somebody asked Nancy if she's a good artist, and she's like, not really. And I'm like, bull fucking shit. Depending on the book, you are an excellent artist who could pass for a master, but it's fine. Not for this book. She's just all about boats in this book. Um, They, again, and then they, like, look over, the, and they're like, somebody drowned, somebody's in the water. And they actually dive in, try to rescue the person. And it's a fucking figurehead, and they find that it's like a, a kind of a weather-beaten figurehead of Neptune, based on, like, he's got a crown, and he's got the trident and everything. And Nancy's like... This is so fucking cool. Can can I have this? And they're like, 
sure, because they have no fucking clue where it came from. Um, Captain Easterly is like, probably the boat wrecked, and so, hey, just have a figurehead. They actually lug it into their fucking car, and they take it to Mr. Frisbee, who, again, a figurehead enthusiast, who was like, girl, I'll restore this shit for you. You're a boat enthusiast. You are my people. I will do this for you. Um, He tells her that it was the figurehead of a specific boat, um, and apparently the boat went down like, I think five years ago is what he says. And so he knows the widow of the person who was captain of that boat. And so Walt, Walt Frisbee, um, recognizes this figurehead, wants to restore it for Nancy because, and then Nancy's like, well, if the wife is, maybe she would want the figurehead kind of like as a memento for her lost husband. So she calls up the, the widow and is like, Hey, um, I found the figurehead for your husband's boat. And she's like, I, it would just, it would bring up bad associations for me. So you're welcome to it. And Nancy's like, I've got a sweet souvenir, which again, it was hard to even get it into her fucking, the fucking car that they were using to, to go into town. So that's cute. Um, Mr. Drew was like, yeah, I ain't finding shit. I'm just, uh, I've also been called back to River Heights. Like I got a case. So I'm, I'm doing like actual lawyer work. Um, but Nancy, you got this. So it's fine. Again, after everything that's happened, Carson's like, I'm going to leave you here, even though clearly you're in massive danger. It's fine. So, um, Mr. Frisbee, she's, um, actually he's doing another one and Nancy's like, are, is it going to just be like plain wood? And Mr. Frisbee's like, hell no, I'm going to paint it to however they specify for it. So that's cool. She learned all about the pride of Neptune is actually, of course, the figurehead, the Neptune figurehead, the where that came from. Mrs. Pringle is the widow, and she's like, no, you can have it. It's fine. Then Nancy stumbles upon a reference to a boat called the Dream of Melissa, because she's like, maybe PR was not the initials of the boat. Maybe PR was the initials of the person who had the snuff box. And so she finds out that the person, Preston Rundle, was the name of the captain, and so she's like, P.R. Preston Rundle, and the dream of Melissa was the name of the ship. The person that she remembers on the front of the snuff box looked kind of dreamy, so she's like, mm, mm, makes sense, dream of Melissa, yes, fine. Um, she disappeared. Uh, let's see, it disappeared, I think, 40 years ago, so this is 1950, it disappeared around 1910. And Nancy's like, this is fucking sweet. Okay, so maybe this is the name of the boat. Okay, that's really cool. So that's what they're pretty sure about. She finds another intruder because the boat is full of intruders. And again, we've got three people. We've got Red Quint, Grizzle Face. We've got Flip Fay, who she, often Nancy is not able to see the face of whoever it is that's on the boat. And we've also got Fred Lane, who apparently seems tied up in all this, but she's not able to ever really catch up. Um, one of the intruders drops a matchbook that has... Uh, Bess's family name and address in it. So Nancy's like, this is a clue. And you're like, yes, whenever I rob houses, I like to keep the note on me that gave me the address so that in, in case of reasons, that's fine. I guess he did not have a monogrammed cuff link to drop. So, um, they decide that whatever the dream of Melissa, actually what they find out is that they first off they want to confirm that it is in fact the dream of melissa nancy's like maybe the furniture would be marked as dream of melissa and but i was like that doesn't actually make a lot of sense i mean unless something was like specifically commissioned for the ship and maybe they're like there's a little plaque or something but anyway george finds a an engraving under the bench that's nailed to the floor in the galley and it says dr period of mel period and so she's like dream of melissa 
And Captain Rogers is like, I mean, maybe. It's fine. Uh, then they go down into what would have been the cruise quarters, like where they would have bunked. And she sees that somebody has actually graffitied a dream of Melissa by like, scr- like actually scraping it into the wood. And she's like, yes, that means it's here. That, that means that's what it is. So then they tell Mr. Drew. And of course, he's back in River Heights, so he can't do anything about it. He finds out because he had taken notes that that ship belonged to the Eastern Shore Shipping Company. So he contacts them to find out if they're okay with him getting the boat. Um, then a little boy comes up to the ship and is like, I've got a delivery for Nancy Drew because, I mean, of course, you can go to any post office in the United States and be like, I need you to find Nancy Drew and hand her this. And they're like, I will put up the bat signal. So anyway, he delivers a box which has a lizard inside, which of course Captain Easterly immediately is like, that's a bad omen. And George is like, it's a fucking lizard, you idiot. But anyway, the other thing is a note... That's just about um, Mr. Ogden of the Eastern Shore Shipping Company, who had no idea that their long-lost clipper had been found, so he's going to come up and find out about it, and he says to just stay on the ship until it gets there. Nancy decides that she wants to find out if anybody knows anything, and then there's a Mrs. Mathilda Smythe has a story about Captain Rogers or Roberts or something, so she goes to talk to her. So uh, Captain Perry Rogers... Mrs. Smythe exclaimed, my mother nearly married him. Um, Captain Rogers fell in love with my mother. Mathilda Witherspoon, she was only 16. Captain Rogers was a good bit older. Her family opposed the marriage, but they were in love. They planned to marry secretly when he returned from a voyage to India, but he never did. Um, Nancy asks if they know anything about the ship, and she's like, no, it just never returned. There was never a trace. Captain Rogers made Mother a promise. He said he would bring her back a priceless gift. He was a rich man. He made many profitable voyages to the Orient. Um, and Nancy's like, do you have any idea what the present was? And she's like, no, I don't know. Um, just something mysterious. Perhaps if the Melissa had returned and Captain Rogers had married Mother, there would be money today to pay the taxes on this house. It's the old Witherspoon homestead, and I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. Because, of course, any pers- any helpful person that Nancy runs into in one of these mysteries is going to be destitute. And by solving the mystery, Nancy can re- provide them with the funds they need to retain their household or to have a living or to actually, you know, maintain their dignity in some way. So, yeah. So this falls into that familiar trope for these books. Nancy's afraid to tell her that she's pretty sure that they found the ship and also she doesn't know what the present was so yeah they decide that they're going to just search the ship thoroughly to see if they can find whatever this present was um they know that apparently it was carrying like rich jewels and rugs and things like that so it would have been a, a pirate ship probably overran them and probably stole whatever was in the hold but it's possible that he hid whatever it was so um, Nancy searches the captain's quarters and she finds a secret like compartment and she finds gold coins in it. And then as soon as she does that, as soon as she dumps them out on the bed, she hears a sound behind her and she turns around and it's Flip Faye. And he's like, thank you for finding some treasure for me. And so he fucking steals it. Nancy tries her best to alert somebody to, to get away, to get him. And she fails. Like he, he grabs the stuff and runs. She can't get him. Um, so she's like, well, son of a bitch. Um, but that's still, she, she's like, gold coins, that doesn't seem like the right thing. So, yeah. They keep looking. And 
Actually, Bess and George are the ones looking in the chart room. And so they find a chart that was like shoved behind something and it's got a note. They're pretty sure that that's where they were. Also, Bess notices that that pendant that George gave to her from Mrs. Potter, again, questions, um, is missing from her quarters. And so Nancy's pretty sure that Flip Fay probably stole it when he was stealing the gold coins. Like he was just looking through the ship for anything. And Bess is like, but it was clearly imitation. And Nancy's like, he probably had some reason for it. And maybe the thing is a ruby. Like maybe the thing that we're looking for is actually a ruby. So Bess and George find the chart that shows probably where they were when they were overrun. Nancy finds a note that's hidden in a secret compartment in the back of the desk. Um, let's see. Signed, Captain Perry Rogers. It's addressed to Josiah Ogden, and it says, Honorable Sir, I have the misfortune to inform you we are beset by pirates. Pirates always beset people. Their names are unknown to me. The Dread Pirate Roberts, like, who the fuck do you... Anyway, it's fine, it's fine. Um, Should God will my decease, I pray thee, search my beloved Lady of Wood, and therein find a precious ruby to be presented in person to her whom I had hoped to make my wife, Mathilda Witherspoon, as a lasting protestation of my devotion. Your humble servant, Perry Rogers. Okay, so there's a secret that is... It's got a precious ruby. It's in the Lady of Wood. Nancy's like, so the figurehead. Because there's some figurines in there. And so Bess and George are like, maybe they're in here. And Nancy's like, ah, nah, nah. I think this is the figurehead. Which, of course, is missing. So they have to track down the figurehead. Um, A guy comes on board. He says he's Josiah Ogden. And you're like, you're saying that he says he's Josiah Ogden. Yeah, spoiler alert, he's not. He says, I'm taking ownership of the ship immediately. Y'all get the fuck out. And so they do because they assume that he's, he shows them papers that seem legit. So, um, Nancy tries to track down Grizzleface because she's like, maybe he knows something about it. They go to an artist colony because they're like, maybe he, she sees like something on his shirt that makes her think that maybe he was like at an artist's retreat or some sort of artist event. And so they go to Provincetown. They ask the artist there who direct them to where Quint is. And he basically says that he had heard about the ship. Um, he was interested in it. He ran into the first mate who had, like, yeah, they were beset by pirates. Everybody basically was killed or set off. Um, the pirates had a mutiny. The ship was lost. He had the snuff box, though, that he had recovered. And so he gave it to Quint. And so Quint had it, and he was just curious about the treasure. Like, he never did anything to damage the ship. He was just interested in the treasure. Um, then he he was talking to Flip Faye, and he told him too much. And so that's how Flip Faye found out as much as he did about the boat, which they eventually come across the, the secret place in the hold where Red Quint was hiding out. So... Um, they decide to, and they're like, do you know where the figurehead is? And he's like, I think that I do. And so Nancy put, Nancy and her friends get in the car, put Red Quint in the car, and then a cop pulls them over when they're en route to the figurehead or where they hope the figurehead is. And the cop's like, we've got an APB on this mofo. I'm putting him under arrest. And Nancy's like, son of a bitch, I did this. So Nancy did, in fact, do this. Like, she was the one who told the cops that they were supposed to be on the lookout for Red Quint. Like, if, if you spot him, arrest him. He's involved in all this shit. We think that he's involved in uh, vandalizing the ship, basically, in searching the quarters and, like, basically, like, taking a hatchet to shit. 
setting fires. So all that stuff, they were like, whoosh. So yeah, the cops are like, come with us. And so they go to the police station and Nancy tells them, she's like, look, I know that I'm the one who filed the report. I get that. I've talked to him. I'm pretty sure he's not involved in like all the actual destructive shit, but it might actually be better for his safety if he stays here because Flip Fay is dangerous and I don't know about this other dude. And so maybe it would be good if he just stays here so that he can be safe while we're trying to track down the real people who did this. So, which, I mean, okay, cool. Um, so he pulls her to the side after and he's like, um, okay, so you've been straight with me. I'm going to be straight with you. So I'm going to tell you how to get there because initially he told them like, I want to, I can't tell you how to get there. I'm going to go with you to show you where the figurehead is. And so now he's like, okay, well, I'm just, since, since you're trying to be nice to me, I'm, I'm going to be nice to you. So he tells Nancy to go to, he said, you take the road to Truro, but you don't go all the way to Truro. Turn off the, at the sign that says Wright's Cove and about a mile on the other side of a settlement, you'll find a little white house with an old sea trawler rotting away in the front yard. That's Mrs. Parker's house. If one were to give me those directions, I would be like, cool, I will never find this. But Nancy and her friends are like, we got this. So let's go. Um, yeah, it was a beautiful drive, but the, the girls scarcely noticed the scenery. <laughs> uh, they see a sign that says Mrs. Parker's guest house. Um, Mrs. Parker comes around. Um, they say, is there, do you have a figurehead here? And she says, oh, that old thing is out in the woodshed. A man named Burns brought it here with him. No, it was Mr. Beaker, I guess. He owed me 12 weeks board and the poor man didn't have a cent. He offered me the figurehead in place of the money, said I could sell it, but I never bothered. I have several thousand questions. So, if you stay at a boarding house for 12 weeks, you can just give them a figurehead. Like, any random figurehead. Any random ass figurehead. And they'll be like, okay, cool. So, she's like, I'm, I didn't even bother to sell it. Again, like, apparently there's a thriving market for figureheads, given Walt Frisbee making his living off it. But okay. Are you girls collecting antiques? I have some sandwich glass if you'd like to look at that. And I'm like, I'm sure that that's legit. And I'm surprised that George did not pipe up with, oh, yeah, sandwich glass. I know all about that. But no, they're like, no, no, we, we just want to see the figurehead. So Nancy sees the long lost figure of Melissa. The wooden lady was indeed like the carved lady on the snuff box. The girl, three girls picked Melissa up and carried her into the yard. Um... Uh, Mr. Burns, or was it Beaker, Mrs. Parker, explained, tell me the thing came off a pirate ship, but I don't believe those old yarns. I've heard too many of them. And they're like, maybe he, one of his ancestors was the, although again, if we're t it, it disappeared 40 years ago. Like it's not that old. And again, they're talking about Perry Rogers having a sweetheart whose daughter is like alive and still in the family house. So yes, yeah, it's, it's like, it's not that old. They keep treating it like, and several thousand years ago, 200 at least. But no, would you sell the figurehead? So they, she sells them the figurehead. Like they don't say like, oh, this came off, but no, no. Again, and Nancy again thinks that there is a precious ruby inside. And so they're like, no, it's fine. I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to think about it. You have a figurehead. You are pretty sure that there is a priceless ruby inside. Where do you take it? Where, where do you take it to do some surgery? Because uh, George is like, let's just saw her head off. I love you, George. Um, where do you take it? If your answer was the ship that has proven to be completely exposed and open to all sorts of trespassers, you would be correct. So, um, Nancy, Bess, and George get back to, let's cut her right open. Um, 
they take her back and the person's like, yeah, it's okay. You can take her up to your room. They get a note. It says, a message came from you from Captain Easterly. You're to follow him to the Bonnie Scott at once. He'll leave a rented robot rowboat on shore for you. He said he's moving back. Um, the captain wants you to move back too. And so Nancy's like, oh, we'll leave immediately. And you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. No. So they end up at the beach. They see that there is a rented rowboat with Nancy's name on it. The Captain Easterly is not in evidence. And you're like, I'm, I'm seeing where this is going, but okay. They, of course, take the figurehead out there. They keep calling it Melissa. It's not even italicized in text. It's just like, we're Melissa, the figurehead, this wooden lady that we're just going to lug around with us. Not creepy at all. It's fine. Uh, Mr. Ogden, who you remember was like, get the fuck off my ship, is now like, hey, girls, hey. And they're like, hey. Is Captain Easterly here? And he's like, I haven't seen him yet. I guess he's just taking a hot minute. Why don't you come on board with that wooden lady that you've found that I am deeply interested in? So they take him up. Um, they find a place that they think that it's, let's see, there's like a block of wood that's in the shoulder. So they pull that out and there's a tiny metal box rusted almost to paper thinness. Inside on a velvet lining was the precious ruby. The fabulous gem of the Orient glinted in the sunlight. The girls were so excited that they did not hear stealthy footsteps behind them. Again, you're like, of course, a fucking course. Like, a fucking... Why did you not take it straight to a fucking police station? But anyway, that's fine. So, they are startled by a harsh masculine voice. Thanks for all your footwork. I'll take the ruby was Flip Faye tr smiling triumphantly. Nancy held on tight and ran for the rail. Bess screamed and clutched at the thief. And I'm like, maybe kick him. Maybe stiletto him. D do some stuff. Um, they grab the girls, tie them to the mast with rope. Um, they're like, you should have paid attention when we sent you that lizard. And you're like, uh, sure. And he was like, even if Captain Easterly did not recognize the sign of the lizard, he should have known the note. And Nancy's like, the little boy who you hired to bring it out here did not bring a note, bitch. So it's fine. Um, they're like, where's Captain Easterly? And they're like, you can say goodbye to him. We're going to leave you tied up. Have a nice trip. We're going to pull up the anchor and let you drift off to sea. And of course, Bess is like, son of a bitch! Because Bess isn't here for any of this shit. Uh, Nancy eventually gets the chisel manages to wriggle free of the ropes they go downstairs they find captain easterly the stuffy forecastle whatever the fuck that is like of course i'm i'm picturing a turret made out of stone in the middle of a ship like i'm clearly uh ships are mysterious creatures um yeah they have to they they can't get back i think they they actually sail back to the little cove and they have to drop anchor nancy's like they have we have to swim to shore there's no boat um they go to the police they tell the police what happened okay two troopers who arrived in minutes wheels of justice were set in motion at once i'm like nancy is the fucking wheel of justice you dip shits but anyway within an hour flip Fay and fred lane were captured on the road to boston off screen we don't care fuck you Fay had the ruby in his pocket and it was now in the possession of the police Sure, sure. Yes, uh, all of this seems deeply plausible. We we don't have a description of their car. Fuck you. Okay, uh, Nancy had borrowed a boat. They went back to the ship because, of course, they were in swimsuits. They come back. Uh, Mr. Ogden actually arrives and is like, okay, the ruby technically is theirs because it was in the figurehead that belonged to the ship, but they agree with the note that came from Perry Rogers, and so they decide that, yes, the ruby does belong to the descendant of the person who was named, so it will go to... Uh, Mrs. Smythe. So, Mr. Farnsworth, who is the current, like, quasi-owner of the ship, is like, 
cool. So they take it to her. She's so deeply excited. She's like, oh my gosh, the figurehead. Um, and they bring the figurehead so that she can look at it. Red Quint says that Nancy can have the snuff box. So now she has two souvenirs. She has the box and the Neptune figurehead because she's like, I'm keeping that bitch. I'm keeping it. I'm going to take it home and God knows what with it. Like, seriously, it's a fucking big figurehead. What the fuck? Anyway, it's fine. Um, Red was to be released on probation, which you're like, that's, that's still like release him. He, he just was mixed up with some bad people. That's fine. Um, Mr. Farnsworth and Mr. Ogden decide that the dream of Melissa was to be deeded to Captain Easterly with a clear title. Mr. Farnsworth will get a portion of the sale. It's fine. Uh, they call Mr. Drew, who was like, thank God that you're safe. Everything's fine. They didn't know about any of this shit until they were robbing, actually, Flip Fate was robbing Bess's house and overheard Nancy on the phone talking about it. And so that's why they decided to come to Boston. So that's fun. That's cool. Um, two weeks later, Captain Easterly gave a party on board his clipper. Uh, there was a new mizzen mast, which again, I uh, sure, a, a long stick thing, I guess. I don't know. Um, the ship had been painted a glistening gray, which sounds deeply gloomy. I'm here for it. And set along the long prow with a figurehead of Melissa, restored and painted by Mr. Frisbee, which I'm like, that seems like long, tedious work. And he's just knocking it out. Like, you are an underutilized gym, Mr. Frisbee. Uh, they renamed it the Dream of Melissa. The old pirate ship is gone forever. Captain Easterly has nailed up the secret passage. There was one point in the book where Bess was in the hallway and she screams bloody murder and Nancy and George are like, what the fuck? And Bess is like, a head, a head popped up, a head. And so uh, in the corridor, and so they go over there and find a little hatch. Like at all places in this fucking ship, there are escape hatches and emergency places, which there was one leading into the captain's quarters. And Nancy was like, clearly the captain enjoyed spying on people. Again, side note, if one is thinking about buying a boat, which is not even a fucking houseboat, maybe, like, get some experts at boats to come check it out and be like, hello, there are 17 secret passages, and we have noted the location of each on this map. Like, what the fuck? I want to know if there's secret fucking passages in my fucking house. Okay. Um, and then Captain Easterly says that he is going to rechristen the ship, and Nancy Drew is going to do it, because of course she is. And scene. So, what have we learned? Monogram your shit if you are going to steal from people and make sure that you drop clues at every single fucking crime scene you're involved in. You know this. Otherwise, it's not fair. People will not know who you are. Also, always eavesdrop on conversations. You do not know when you're going to find out that maybe there is a priceless ruby hidden in a figurehead somewhere on the East Coast. Sure. Okay. Also, Nancy and Ned are married now. (laughs) (laughs) i mean it makes a lot of sense though oh my god it makes a lot of sense um okay uh the next book we're gonna pick up is actually the clue of the black keys which clue of the black yeah i think it's clue um i just remember the major words from the title so if like for this book i'm like wooden lady and you're like clue of secret of mystery of any of those words is fine because it is all of those things and more weird yeah and actually the front cover has them with their big old wooden lady who it looks really gray on the cover it's fine i mean you were working with what you have i do not like the cover of this book if you're looking at like a first edition because like nancy best and george looks super like 1950s generic um and that would have been actually the first cover like uh, Bess has the wrong hair like 
a lot of weird stuff is happening. It's just a lot of weird stuff. Anyway, okay. Uh, next week is clearly the Black Keys, which one of my favorite things about that book is that one of the main characters is named Brad Pitt. Like, I was reading the book and I went, <gasps> so now you're going to fantasy cast Brad Pitt in that role. And that's actually fine for this because he is an older, he's not that old, actually. He's like a younger man. So picture young Brad Pitt. Picture like, hmm, which Brad Pitt? Definitely not Fight Club Brad Pitt, but around that era. So, 20 years ago, Brad Pitt. Um, he is in this book, and Ned is deeply jealous of him. Nancy's like, he's, he's going to knock him on his ass once he meets him, because he's Brad Pitt. So, enjoy that. Know that you've got that in your future. And, as always, stay sleuthy, my friends. <laughs>